0: oh my god what's up party people welcome to this week's episode of romancing nancy drew i'm your host indy nickerson which stands for nancy drew nickerson you can find me at indy nickerson on twitter or you can find me at romancing nancy on twitter if you are so inclined totally up to you though Kicking off this season, our next five books in the Nancy Drew Mystery Story series, uh, we're doing book 36 this week, which is The Secret of the Golden Pavilion. So we probably covered this last time, but just to recap for a hot minute. Um, starting with book 35, the they're no longer revised. So the books that I'm recounting are the same ones that if you went to a store today and you picked it up, it would be this version of it. You're like, so the racism's gone. And my answer to you is no, (laughs) if only, um, no, um, so yeah, and as you can tell, Golden Pavilion, secret, yes, yeah, we're, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna run into some stuff, it's really interesting to, to contrast this one with the Nancy Tree Files, where Nancy goes to Hawaii, and it's called Sinister Paradise, and you're like, hmm, I see where you're going with all this, I honestly feel like there's a lot more colonialism happening in that book, and in this one, but I mean, it's the 80s. Do a lot of coke and vote for Ronald Reagan. So um, this book actually came out in 1959. I vaguely remembered this because of course, World War Two and Pearl Harbor, I was like, so Hawaii, and they were like, wasn't actually a state at that point. And I was like, hell, I forgot. Yeah. So Hawaii did not join the United States. I say that. Like, they all looked at each other, and they were like, you know what, we need to join these fuckers, and that was not at all the way that happened, but um, they were not annexed, um, colonized, they were colonized well before 1959, but anyway, they were officially forcibly added to the United States in 1959, which I thought was interesting, because I think... That I remember, the version of this book being dedicated to the new estate. they like they were just super stoked about it. Also, this is the point at which Harriet Stratemeyer Adams, who was the daughter of Edward Stratemeyer, was the one doing all the books. So I feel like she was like, you know what, Hawaii? You know, you know what, bitch needs to visit Hawaii. This bitch, I am gonna need to do a lot of research. I am gonna need to do a lot of cruises and also some skin diving. Which when I read this in this book, I was like please, for the love of God, let me have this euphemism. And the book was like, you can't have it, but I'm going to power through. You know me, you know how I roll. So another weird thing about this. I mean, let's be real. Everything about this book is super fucking weird. Um, not only the beginning of the book is just absolutely straight up bonkers. Um, I started thinking about it and I was like, there's a version of Nancy Drew where it's like her father's her enabler, like she gets caught up in mystery, she asks her father for permission to investigate, he maybe reluctantly, maybe wholeheartedly, maybe he helps her, but anyway, it's like, kind of like he has to give her permission to do it, because after all, he's bankrolling her, she is, this is her rich girl hobby, and he's just, he's just here for the ride. In this book and in other books, because I thought back about it, um, she's helping him with his case. He calls her in and says, hey, this sounds like a thing that would be right up your alley. And she's like, hell yeah, this this would be right up my alley. Thank you for thinking of me. And I thought about it and was like, she's unpaid labor. <laughs> her father's like, I know that you're not employed by me. Like, not not in a legitimate way. I do not pay you, other than with room and board. Um, also, if you get into a dangerous situation and you do something pretty fucked up, um, I've got plausible deniability because you're not my employee. And I can be like, just look at her. She's adorable. And she did not know what the fuck she was doing. Do I employ fully grown adults who are trained in how to do this shit? Yes. Am I going to assign you to do it? Also, yes. Yes. Imagine me rolling my eyes. So this book opens with Nancy on a helicopter. And you're like, of course, of course, Nancy's on a helicopter, not flying it. She's got Togo with her. He's wearing a blue ribbon cuz she took him to a dog show and he won it. Is anything more on brand than Nancy? Now, the book says that Nancy like intentionally went to the dog show, but I like to imagine that she kind of she was walking by and she had Togo with her and they were like, "That dog is magnificent. Get his ass in here. We need to pin a ribbon on that shit." So, she's bringing Togo back and Togo's like, am I the best dog? Yes. And I was like, it depends on the book, bitch. Because when Nancy first meets Togo, he's like ripping up flower beds all over the place, biting people's ankles, just generally being a nuisance. And I was like, I love everything about this. Please never change Togo. And yet, of course, as everything he did. So he's a perfectly well behaved little terrier. When I feel like in the first book, he was probably a pit bull, which I love that. That's That's got more of the Adams Family vibe that I wanted for this series from the beginning. She's on her way back in and she tells the helicopter pilot, she's like, can we fly over my house? Because reasons. Like, who does not want to see their house from the air, I guess? Which is gonna come back later. This is the Chekhov's gun of this novel. So they fly over her house and Nancy's like, oh my god, there's a man with a ladder and he's climbing to the third story where we don't have burglar alarms. Please, radio the tower. I have so much to unpack here. Okay, first off, so you, you got alarms installed and you were like, first floor, naturally, no brainer. Second floor, sure, maybe someone has a ladder. Third floor, no one can reach that, no one other than Spider-Man, so I think we'll be safe, no, they, and I was like, how, how did the person know that, that he didn't have burglar, also in 1959, what the fuck did burglar alarm consist of, like a tiny police officer stationed at each window, I, anyway, it's fine, I'm sure it was hooked up to a TV set, and it would electrocute you if you walked in, I don't know, it, it's also broad daylight, so many questions. You're like, their neighbors are like, we're done with your shenanigans. And if somebody breaks into your house, we're fine with it. And we're going to let it play out because we hate you. (laughs) The homeowner's association is up in arms. (laughs) Anyway. And again, she has a third story. This is also 1959. So I imagine that it is like violently unair conditioned, like just sweltering hot, very sultry. It's, It's Tennessee Williams play up in the attic here. So, um, whoever it is goes into the house and Nancy's like, I'm sure that he is stealing documents from my father. Like what else is there in this house? And I was like, that's fair. Like it's either trinkets that Nancy's collected on her journeys or her father's law stuff, which he keeps clearly marked in a briefcase. It says Carson Drew's law shit. Please keep your mites out of this. So they watch in horror, Nancy and the helicopter pilot as the person exits the house and then collapses the ladder And Nancy is fascinated by this. She was like, a collapsible ladder. Imagine. Imagine. Who knew that this wizardry existed? And I was like, I feel like the concept of the collapsible ladder seems pretty, like, not a no-brainer, but also, like, 1959 feels like it's a bit late to be thinking about these things, but okay. Um, Sure, sure. Maybe it was just super speedy at collapsing. So, They've radioed the tower. Her dad has called the cops. Um, I don't, I don't think that they recover it, like, immediately. I don't think that's what happens. If anybody steals anything from the Jews during a case, though, either it's going to be absolutely nothing, or it's going to be Nancy's lingerie, or it's going to be, like, very important law documents that Carson is going to need for legal reasons. So, he usually gets that shit back. So, um, Nancy's like so what what's up what what are you into are you investigating meth dealers like why would you have somebody that's just breaking into our house in broad daylight climbing up to the third story which again he somehow knew was unalarmed. Hannah slept through all this and I was like that's also fair. If I were Hannah I would sleep as much as possible because these bitches they go hard so as if Nancy's away you need to take a fucking nap girl. So, Nancy finds out that her father has taken on a case, and he wants her to investigate, and it's his client who is in the States, and I think is going to be in the States for like a year. I think he's set up like some sort of art gallery or pottery studio or any. I have to, I have to imagine that most of the clients that Nancy and her father take on during this time period seem like really, really, not Elon Musk, but people who have the kind of wealth that they're like, Money is no object. I came to the United States to throw pottery and to just generally be lazy. So I'm living the dream. And that is correct. So the client who came from Hawaii is there with his wife and he has inherited a house from his grandfather. It is on Maui. Yeah, it's on Maui. It's apparently like a very large, like historically significant estate. And the grandson doesn't actually want it like he's like i've got my own house in honolulu it's really nice um i've got my house here i i don't need my grandfather's house like i'm planning basically to just to to dispose of it by um giving it to a historical society like so it's not like selling it to the highest bidder or anything um but his grandfather's will specify that apparently there is some sort of treasure or secret in the house that the grandson has to find before he does anything with the house. So the other thing is that he, first off, he he doesn't know where the fuck it is. He has a clue, but it's like two, two figures that are kind of next to each other, and he doesn't know what it means, and Nancy's like, cool, I'll be right back. <laughs> so she runs her basic Google search slash... Goes to the house of a man who is an expert in this kind of thing. Like, interpreting basically glyphs. And he looks at it and he goes, these are the signs for water and death. And she was like, "Uh, okay, that that seems ominous. And he's like, I mean, a bit. So Nancy's like, are we talking like stabby murder death? Or are we talking like peaceful, sleepy death? And the guy's like, "Mm, more the latter. More like a nice death. <laughs> so Nancy's like, cool. So she comes back in like immediately and the client's like, holy shit, you're good. And Nancy's like, you get what you pay for, except for I get none of the money. So he wants Nancy to travel to Hawaii and locate whatever the secret or, or whatever the grandfather left so that he can dispose of the house. And Nancy's like, this sounds fabulous, and then she's like, "Fuck, it's really expensive to travel to Hawaii," and then she wants to take Bess and George, but um, Bess and George may have trouble like paying for the flight. So, so she looks at her fa- like she looks at her dad, and she's like, "It's up to you, honey. It's up to you." And I was like, "That's true," because he's going to bankroll all this shit. So he looks at his client, and he's like, "If you will pay for basically the trip for Nancy." and I and her friends actually um then I will consider that my fee and dude's like done money is no object and I was like we need yes we all need you in our lives somebody who is like you know what fly to Hawaii it's gonna be epic they're also gonna take Hannah with them for chaperone reasons I'm trying to think I don't really think that there's any specific purpose that Hannah serves on this trip other than to be... I don't... I, I can't imagine anything. Anyway, so Carson says he's got a few things to finish up because he always does. Carson is interesting because Carson can be threatened. Carson can be... Um. I was gonna say vandalized as though he's a piece of art. Um, Carson can be beat up. He can be threatened. He can, like, suffer mild injury. He can be drugged and held captive in hotel rooms. It's really interesting because, like, Carson in some books is the damsel in distress that Nancy needs to save, and so in this book, um, he is sitting in his office, like, trying to figure out some stuff, and... Somebody just comes in and just starts beating the shit out of him. And Carson's like, what the fuck? And so his secretary comes in and discovers him on the floor. Just just crumpled and laying there. And AC's like, yeah, this is some pretty fucked up shit. Okay, I'm going to back up slightly. The person that she saw at the house that was burglarizing it and stealing papers related to this guy. Um, and apparently the papers are related to this guy because there were some copies of some Asian art Like, some little Asian artifacts, little, like, I guess, little figures and things like that. When I saw them, I was like, please say that they are action figures, but no. There's some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they are wearing lays, and it's fantastic. Um, imagine it. So, um... Yeah, that stuff got stolen, so Carson's pretty sure that somebody is after his client or trying to find the secret. And of course, the the estate is wealthy. It makes sense that whatever the secret is, it may be associated with his wealth. It might be an expensive souvenir or something that somebody could take and sell. So that's that's where their minds are at. Also, there's a pavilion on the grounds that have been vandalized. Like somebody has apparently been going to that pavilion and like pulling up the floorboards and hacking away at them. Um, There have been mysterious people that they've seen on the property. And when I say they, I mean the housekeepers who are apparently Native Hawaiians. Um, Yeah. There's also been a mysterious like ghostly apparition near the pavilion. And all of you are like, yes, the pavilion is the key to everything, but of course, they're like, is it though, and you're like, yeah, it is, it is, it's the name of the book, this, there's sort of the secret, is. it says the secret of the golden pavilion, just hang out there, it'll happen, so they, and when I say they, I mean Nancy and her father, and also when they consult with the chief of police, Chief McGinnis, who you've known from previous books, who is Nancy's BFF, and loves her, and wants nothing more than to enable her (laughs) Anyway, he tells them that, and I'm please understand that my brow is furrowing and I'm in an an utter expression of pain when I say this. There is a gang called the Double Scorps, as in scorpions. Why is it called this? Shut the fuck up! You don't have the right to know. Also, in the book, because Double Scorps looks a lot like Double Scoops, and I was like, it's the two scoops of raisins gang they're here for Raisin Bran and Raisin Bran alone. They have some issues and only fiber can solve them. So the double scorps, the two scoops of raisins, that sunshine wearing sunglasses, that one, um, are just chasing them around. Just general shenanigans. Um, Nancy goes around trying to find where the collapsible ladder came from, which I was like, oh, sure. I mean, if it was unique enough. So she sees a similar ladder, Somebody's washing windows and using a similar ladder. So she goes up to him and she's like, hey, hey, um, have you by chance got other ladders or has somebody that's maybe not associated with their company borrowed your ladder? And he was like, you know what? Yesterday, somebody fucking did. That's really weird that you would say that. Also, the way that his speech patterns are depicted in the book, I was like, you are using the same speech patterns that historically the series has used to indicate black people without noting skin color on the person. His name is Abe. That's all we got. I'm just saying. I'm just fucking saying. So Nancy's like, really? Really? What can you tell me about him? So Abe says that the person who borrowed the ladder um, came by and said he was like a traveling salesperson and that he could help sell the ladder because it was like a really cool thing. He says that he had a the guy who borrowed the ladder had a weird habit of like drumming his fingers and then touching his index fingers together. And I was like, sure, that's that's a thing that anyone could pick out of a lineup. Also, apparently he was tall, kind of balding and with reddish hair, I believe. It's fine. We're gonna there's gonna be a bunch of people. So Nancy decides that this guy must be associated with the double scorps, which oh my god, just just fucking hang it up, y'all. Scorpions? Sure. Straight to the point. We understand double scorps, like Everything's wrong with that. It does not roll off the tongue. It is not pleasing. It is just not pleasing. Um. Anyway, so the two scoops of raisins gang uh, is just frolicking about town and just trying to tip over things. Um. Nancy makes an appointment, I think, with Abe to maybe ask him some more questions or something like that. And when she goes to see him, he is up on a. He's up cleaning something, or he's up on the ladder. I think he's at somebody's house, like, cleaning their, their stuff. And he's he's climbed up to a window, and somebody walks by and tips the ladder out from under him, and so that he has to go at the window sill. And I think, like, Nancy, Bess, and George are all there, so they help him get the ladder back up. Nancy pursues the, the person who did it, catches up with him, of course flags down a policeman immediately, because, of course, a police officer is, like, every four feet in River Heights, even though they catch no one. Only the people that Nancy brings directly to them. And is like, please lock this person up, you dipshit. So, she stops the guy, the the police officer questions the guy. And he's like, they're like, are you in the two scoops of raisins gang? And he's like, maybe. Who wants to know? And you're like, everyone really. Everyone wants to know if you're in the dumbest named gang that they've ever heard of. Side note. I think that the Nancy Drew books are pulling from the ideas of, that were would have been popular in media at the time and are popular now because I mean if you want to say that there are some some gangs that meet the like fictional definition of gangs but a lot of them definitely don't more of a social social group that may occasionally be like and hey, maybe we're going to shoplift um yeah this is like the whole criminals ganging together and being like, yes, let's do crimes and giggle and also maybe beat up lawyers. This is what two scoops of raisins is here for. They're here to fuck up your shit. So I think they even have some of the absolute dumbest, um, gang merch. Like if you go to their online store, there's going to be two scorpions, but it ain't going to be cute. They're, they're not going to do anything cool with it. You're just going to be like, you just found some clip art you got no imagination. This, this is not your forte. This is why you're stealing from people. Um, so yeah, they track him down and the guy was apparently hired by the gang to, to fuck up, to fuck with Abe, to basically tell him that, you know, meeting with Nancy Drew is bad news and you should not do it and it will be hazardous to your health. And you're like, of course it will, honey anyone, snitches get stitches if they talk to Nancy Drew, all y'all, so, anyway, Abe's okay, um, the homeowner comes out, and is like, is he okay, and blah, blah, I'm gonna go get some brownies, it's gonna be fine, so, Nancy talks to him, and he's like, yeah, that, that was a, that was a little bit sketch, and I was told that you were a dangerous person, and Nancy's like, I mean, I am, you're not wrong, people around me do seem to suffer mysterious things, look at Bess and George, they've seen shit, so, So, Nancy, Bess, and George have said they are going to travel to Hawaii. They're going to have to travel across the country to California first. And, in a staggering turn of events, um, Ned, Bert, and Dave are also planning to go to Hawaii. Okay, the thing that I love about this is that Nancy's like, oh shit, Ned's going to be there. Usually it feels like in the books, Nancy goes to some location and then the boys show up. Like they find an excuse to be there or they just say, hey, let's let's just go to wherever Nancy is. Let's go to Miami. Let's go to New Orleans, wherever it is. In this book, coincidentally, the boys had already planned to go there basically like as soon as their school year let out. Also, Hawaii again, was annexed to the United States in 1959, so I was kind of surprised, honestly, that this book was also copyrighted that same year. I was like, I guess it takes a hot minute for a state to join another country, and so they had some forewarning. They had a heads up. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so they're already planning to be there. They're going to be on a different plane, of course, because they made their plans before this, but they're already going to be there, and Nancy's like, hell yeah, I can meet up with my boy, so she's super excited about that, Nancy, Bez, George, and Hannah travel to California on the way. They meet this actress on the plane who is like, you should come to the set tomorrow. And they're like, well, we do have a layover. So they go and see her on set and she's a mermaid. And it's really dumb, like exceedingly dumb. I was like, this is the kind of thing that mystery science would be like, you're here for us you are our people. Thank you for pretending to be a mermaid and just throwing your entire heart into it slash scenery falling on you. So something happens like something, I think a light falls. That's, that seems to be the thing in fiction. Like if you're on set, the way to know that things are ominous is a, a stage light is going to fall. And all the actors then refuse to work. And I was like, same, same though. Who wants to get absolutely brained for this? So for just pretending to be a mermaid for just throwing your heart into that. So, um and then she never comes up again. Nancy's like, "You seem pretty cool. Is this she introduces herself by her real name apparently and Nancy's like, "Is blah blah your stage name?" and she's like, "You found out my secret. Now come watch me be a mermaid." And I was like, "This feels like it's symbolic and always." So, they finally get Oh, oh, the other thing, the other thing. I'm sorry, I forgot. I'm sorry. Okay. So, like I said, um, Ned um Bert and Dave were traveling on a different plane. And the client and his wife come over to Nancy's house to have dinner with her and her father, and they um this is before of course Nancy and her friends leave, and they are like, Yeah, let's let's just listen to the weather forecast on the radio. It's either the radio or the TV. I think it's the radio, before we leave. And they're like, oh, okay, this is a perfectly logical thing. They're also told that the Armstrongs are going to be hosting them while they're in Hawaii. So they'll be helping like with cars and, and finding them places to, to hang out on the island, et cetera. So they turn on the radio and they hear a plane is in distress A plane that is on its way to Hawaii is in distress and it has it's something bad has happened to the plane and everybody is like oh my god what the fuck is happening so of course I was like well the boys just want to reenact lost is what's gonna happen but anyway the the report fucking says like and there are people from Emerson College on this plane and so the girls are like holy shit our future husbands, their lives are at stake. Um, also, side note, and we've discussed this before, I neither knew nor cared who Bert and Dave were for. I knew were, I was like, you're with Bess and George? I don't fucking care about you. I'm here for Ned, and y'all seem to be a triplet, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all three of them are on the plane. Um, it takes hours for the news reports to continue coming in, and they're like, the plane's in danger, it's it's had something bad happen to it, we don't know what's going on, maybe they might have to make an emergency landing, and then they come back to California and land, and every, by that point, it's like the middle of the fucking night, and everybody's like, oh my god, oh my god, like, they're all looking at each other, and they're like, too shocked to do anything, and then Hannah's like, you know what, hot chocolate, and then straight to bed, and I was like, you're here for us, Hannah, you understand what this moment needs, and it's hot chocolate, so... And, of course, they're just desperately relieved by this. So, then they go to California. Um, Carson can't come with him because, of course, he's got things. And the client, um, I don't think anything's been directly stolen from him. But there have been disappearances of other similar artifacts in the area, basically, like small Asian or Asiatic figures things like that have just gone missing from places like things that would things that apparently would be easy to carry so there's that so they finally make it through california out to hawaii they get off the plane and of course mr and mrs armstrong are there and they're just handing out lays like fucking candy at halloween for nancy there was one of like gardenia's a favorite flower of hers I'm reading straight from the book now. Thank you very much. She said, this is a wonderful greeting. Because, you know, of course, that's going to be a... We're in the travelogue section. This is when you learn all about the customs of the place that that they've decided to tell you about. There was no chance for any further conversation for that moment. Three young men rushed up to the girls. And you're like, kidnappers. (laughs) Ned cried Nancy as her tall, dark-haired, handsome friend came toward her. I was like, future husbands. I mean, seriously, tall, dark-haired, handsome, like, okay, we know what the next word is, and it's a guy you're gonna just bang the brains out of. Bert, George called to the blonde husky youth. I I like how she's like, we both know why we're here. Dave exclaimed "Bess in delight, like, George is like, hey, hey, bitch, like, George ain't here for this shit exclaimed Bess in delight looking up at the rangely built green-eyed young man and you're like yes of course do i care about his hair no do i care about anything about him absolutely not you are here to fill out the place settings so that we've got an equal number of feminine and masculine guests that's what you are here for so the emerson boys arms also held lays which they dropped around the girls necks with quick kisses and you're like yes Although, probably George is like, yes, the bare minimum of what I need to do in public to maintain this ruse. Nancy's lay was made of pale pink plumeria. George's of baby anthuriums, which to me, the word looks like antlers, and I'm like, okay, sure. And Bess's of orchids and carnations, because we need to know the flower language that's going on here. Um... Plumeria, actually, like, because it's apparently a flower that became Hawaiian native, the thing that I was looking at said that it was introduced, like, in the mid-1800s, so it's not actually native to the island, but that it thrived there, so that would be, like, a traditional lay flower, um, Nancy, like, during this book, I'm gonna stop reading from the book now, during this book, like, there's oftentimes where Bess is, like, we're being watched, where they feel like somebody's following them, and they're like, the two scoops of raisins gang is at it again, which makes me imagine people in bandanas just looking incredibly dumb, um, yes, they have to, but because Bess is worried that somebody's following them, they decide that they're going to go to where the boys are staying, so the boys have gotten, like, an apartment, also, at some point, Ned rents, I can't believe any of the words that are about to come out of my mouth, a salmon colored rental car that when he brings it around, the girls are like, that is the shit. Oh my God. We're all instantly pregnant. Just looking at that car. And Ned's like, and I write, this is the hotness. And I was like, salmon colored. I, I cannot help, but be a bit in awe of it. I can't help it. Like, salmon colored, just go big or go home, late 50s, go big or go home, so anyway, um, they decided they're going to go out to where the boys are, so they change into swimsuits, and they swim, and they have a rowing, comp. no, yes, yes, it is, actually, they have a rowing competition with another group of Emerson students who also decided they were going to be taking a little summer vacation in Hawaii, basically, and I was like, again, I kind of feel like they're drilling in the whole, like, Nancy's worried that her friend's parents won't be able to cover the trip, but she's not so much worried about her own father. The Emerson students, like, s- clearly many of them already have the disposable income that flying to Hawaii is not that big a deal. Um, yeah, and I was like, sweet lord, even now, like, the a trip to Hawaii would be a significant significant expense, and I haven't even bothered looking up, like, the conversion rates between how much it would be. So, um, they go swimming, they're talking, there's a lot of Nancy and Ned just, like, chatting about the mystery in this book, and spending time together, and I'm like, yes, yes to all this, there's not a, there's not that much, like, oh, let's go on a romantic date, it's like, and it's like, I'm gonna be stuck to you like glue, and we're gonna be investigating this mystery, and that is how I'm gonna interact with you, and I was like, I'm fine with it, like, he... I feel like Ned's whole thing is that he wants to be around Nancy as much as humanly possible, so that, it's on brand. It tracks. I'll I'll buy it. I'll allow it. So, they go swimming. They go rowing. Um, apparently, it's a photo finish, and I, I don't think they ever actually say who won, but the Emerson boys against the three Emerson boys plus Nancy and George, because Bess is like, you'll do better without me. So, so, yeah, and they're like, wow, some girls who can row like boys, and I was like, like, th- this is feeling a little bit misogynist, but you do you, honey. You do you. So, they go out to the estate, which is apparently just breathtaking. Like, the gardens are beautiful. It's very lush. There's a, a literal golden pavilion. Like, it's... It, I'm picturing a gazebo, and I think that it is like a like an, a large, fancy gazebo. The house is really nice. They're going to be staying there. They're actually going to be staying in the mansion um, with the two servants who, of course, have witnessed the ghostly apparition on the pavilion. So there's that. Um, let me think. Yeah, so that's basically when Nancy starts trying to track down the mystery. So she goes out and looks at the pavilion. She sees that the floor has been kind of torn up. She asks about that. She looks around to see if there's anything that she can locate that might be a clue. The thing is that if there were something hidden under the pavilion, that clearly would have been located by now. So there's that. Um, how the fuck does she get her first clue? I'm not really sure. I'm not I'm not entirely sure about how she gets her fucking first clue. And also, also it doesn't really fucking seem to matter that much. Um she she found those signs for water and death, and also the pavilion is close to death, and one of her theories about what it might mean is that it's whatever the thing is that she's looking for, it's located near water and it involves maybe a grave site. And when she tells the client this, he thinks about it and he's like, mm, no, no, that, that just doesn't track for me. The other thing that's going on with the estate is that two people who say that they are a brother and sister and you're like, oh, if you're saying that they're saying that they're a brother and sister, then they fucking aren't. And you would be correct. Um, are claiming that they are also grandchildren of the grandfather and that they are also entitled to the estate so that they need to sell the land and split it five ways. Five ways. Listen to me. Split it three ways. So the general consensus seems to be that these sp- uh, these people claiming that they are grandchildren are just full of shit because their their excuse because the client's like I've never heard of these fuckers um, is that apparently the grandfather was in California, married, had a child, and then abandoned his wife and child to move to Honolulu. And then ended up on, oh, I think I think he ends up on Maui or Oahu. I think it's I think it's Maui. Um, he ends up there and has just abandoned his children. Never his child never talks about that person again. Never refers to his first marriage. Like it just completely obliterates it off the face of the earth. Um, there's no evidence that they're finding in their grandfather's possessions about this. So it seems a bit fishy, um, but they have proof. Um, they've got pictures of a gravestone of that's listing his name. Um, like, the timing pretty much works. Like, he would have been about the right age. So, Carson's like, I'll track it down for you. Because they are, they're standing in the way of the client dealing with the finding whatever his grandfather left for him specifically to find. And disposing of the estate. Because they're basically saying that they want to live there or um, dispose of it themselves and take the money, et cetera. So that's, that's the state that they're in. So let me think. It's, it's kind of weird because Nancy's looking for clues and they're trying to elude the two scoops of raisins band. Um, yeah, there is a point at which they go skin diving. And when I say skin diving, I mean, Nancy and Ned and per the pictures, it looks like they mean scuba diving basically, or snorkeling but you know where my mind went, and it, it went there a lot, a lot, because if Ned's like, let's go skin diving, I'm like, everyone in here knows what that means, it, except for me, apparently, or maybe you, so they go diving, Um, they see a shark, and Ned freaks out, and, and helps Nancy away from the shark, and it's, it's very nerve-wracking, and there's a line illustration in the book, and they get out of the water, and they tell the the male servant at the house they're like there was a shark and he was like um yeah so like the kind of sharks that might actually attack you don't come that close to shore did I not tell you about the legend about the queen of the sharks and they're like you did but also it feels like maybe get away from a shark it feels prudent we're just saying so um they do actually see the woman the woman wearing a white muumuu in the pavilion but when they go, they try to catch up to her, she flees. Um, they also find a very small opening that's in the flooring of the pavilion. Not not the flooring, but the part that, like, would, would ha- let you access the under part, basically. So they look in there, and there's nothing there. Like, if there ever was anything there, it's not there anymore. And Nancy's like, okay, so I guess it's not a grave site. So, okay, well, that theory's out the window. Okay, that's fine. I mean, they look all over the house to see if they can find anything. Um, Somebody, I think that this is around the same time that they see the woman, somebody screams inside the house, and so they're trying to track that person down. Um, Some little figures go missing, and they're pretty sure that the woman, like, distracted them, got into the house, screamed, stole the figures, and Nancy's like, yes, I have found tiny skin and fibers on this one statue. And everyone's like, my God, you're Columbo. Because she goes over everything with a magnifying glass. Which the text is like, which she refers to as her pride and joy. And I was like, oh, sure honey. I mean, why not Why not capitalize that shit? Why not? So, it's fine. So, yeah. They've, they've decided that the woman in the white movement was almost certainly maybe part of the Two Scoops Raisins gang. And she's there to search the house for whatever the treasure is. So, there's that. Um, the Armstrongs arranged for them to have a traditional luau. Because how the fuck are you gonna get out of a travelogue about Hawaii without a fucking luau? So of course they have a pit to cook the pig in, they talk about the preparations for it, they talk about um the traditional dishes that are served alongside, they teach Nancy out of hula, of course they do, of course they fucking do. How to you know, how to do the dances. Um they give them Hawaiian names, which I was like feels a little bit appropriation ish, but I mean it's fine. Um, and Nancy picks hers out because hers ends up being like Anna or something that's close to her name. So she's like, mm, "This is probably me." And Hannah's name is similar to Nancy's because they come from the same root. So, um, I think Ned's Ned finds his too, and he has a name meaning something like king or something like that. And he's like, "I'm here for this shit." So, anyway, so they sit down. They have their they have their party, and I can't remember. I feel like. I feel like something happens like maybe maybe Ned eats something that disagrees with him and mm, I think maybe that happens later but anyway um but the Luau seems to go great I think that there was like some sort of incident that seemed to interrupt it um but otherwise it seems like they have a pretty good time Nancy tracks down a clue that leads her to the volcano, and I can't remember exactly what the clue was, but it had something to do with, like, a rainbow that you can see if you're at a volcano with the water around it, and so she sees that, and then she finds another clue about a sword silver sword, something like that, um, some sort of bush or tree that has, like, sword-like leaves, and I was like, we're getting real deep in Adam's family territory here, and I'm here for it, um, she finds one that's set back from the path, and that seems to be unique, and there's something about the angel birds, and so she's asking about that, and it's like, the angel birds like to fly over the rainbow, and so she's like, okay, I've got it. I need to fly over the pavilion. And I was like, I am not sure how you reach this logical leap. I i don't know. And part, one of the things is that she goes to talk to a pair of identical twins who, like, I think one of them is studying volcanoes and the other one is studying, like, botany of the area. And they find out that the twins are or were very good friends of the grandfather. And so Nancy goes to them and she says, I think you have the next clue. It's like this really weird scavenger hunt. And they confirm that they do and they hand it over. They said that they were supposed to hand it over to the air. But, you know, Nancy's standing in for the air. So it seems like it'll be fine. And so that's where she gets the clue about the angel birds. And that's when she decides that she needs to fly over the pavilion. So the guide that takes them up to see the volcano, which, side note, um, when they were talking about volcanoes and they were talking about how the Hawaiian legends dealing with, like, when volcanoes erupt, etc. I couldn't help thinking of the Sinister Paradise, the Nancy Drew Files one, where they wanted to fling Nancy into a volcano. And I was like, why are we not making all the jokes about a virgin sacrifice? And then Nancy being like, so, funny story, I'm not eligible, Ned. Um, But anyway, so... I mean, if you're in Hawaii, you're gonna see a volcano and maybe fall into it. But in this case they do not. It's not an active volcano at that point. It's not something that a a villain or a henchman is going to try to fling them into. So before they leave on their trip, because apparently the trip is gonna take a while, um, Nancy talks to the client and she's like, Look, I'm I'm tracking down some clues, but I feel nervous about the house because um they're at the house. Nancy actually pays a visit to the imposter brother and sister which you're like, so you're just gonna rip the band-aid off there, and I'm like, yeah, you know that they are, you know they're imposters, she goes to talk to them, and, um, basically, she, she calls them first, they seem to be just very, everything that upsets Nancy, where they, like, they don't seem to have very good manners, they seem to be very abrupt, they seem to be rude, um, so basically trashy is where she goes with this, where anybody who, ha- who is not of her social class, who seems to behave as though they are not of her social class, she is not here for it. Which, again, we could spend an entire episode unpacking, like, the your appearance and whether you're humble or not, actually, um, if you seem to be completely obsessed with money, but in a way that is uncouth, then that automatically marks you as a villain in these books. So, but... So yeah, she pays him a visit, Um, they invite her into the house, she's like, fuck no, I'm going to stay out in the garden because I don't know what the fuck's in your house, I don't know if you're cooking meth, I don't know, I don't know, so I'm not going in there. And I was like, that seems fair though, you get kidnapped a lot, like it it seems fair that you would be like, I'm not going to go with you to a second location, that's what Liz Lemon has taught me, so, meth, it's what your body needs anyway, so then those bitches just come up they call an uber and they come up and they're like hey y'all hey like we're gonna live here now and nancy's like holy shit so she calls the client and her dad side note remember how carson was supposed to come as well he just had some shit to do first so he's trying to track down the the um husband and wife slash brother and sister because yes of course let me just let's just spoiler alert that shit um He is supposed to make his flight, he cancels it, and then he reinstates it, but doesn't make the flight, and so Nancy's worried about him. She calls and finds out that he got attacked or injured by one of the Two Scoops of Raisins people and had to reschedule his flight, but he plans to be out there. Although, yeah, he does eventually make it out there. Yeah, it it takes him a hot minute. Um so because she's nervous about the fact that those bitches just strolled up here the the most egregious thing to me is they're like we are going to live in whatever room we want to and suck it so they walk through the house and they pick of course the woman picks nancy's room and is like I don't know who shit this is, but they need to get out of here because this is where I'm going to be, and Nancy was like, okay, so Bess and George help her move into like the maid's quarters at the end of the hall, into the tiniest little bedroom, and the same thing with Ned's room. Apparently, Ned has a really good room, and the guy comes in and is like, this is where I'll be staying, so you need to move your shit, what Nancy knows is is the rooms that they have selected are rooms that would allow them to see the outside of pretty much all of the house, like would allow them to keep an eye on what's going on outside. So, and technically there she was like, well, apparently I can't really do that much about it because at this point they seem to have a valid claim to the estate and there doesn't seem to be anything that's contradicting that. So she calls and she actually has the local chief of police because of course she does. She is in her She is every woman and also in her she calls the local chief of police and they send up a detective. They were like, he will be wearing a green necktie, and that is how you will know him. And Nancy's like, this seems legit. So he comes up to the house, and Nancy's like, don't tell them who you are. Just say that you're a person who's going to be staying here. It's fine. So he's like, yes, I am just a person who is staying here. And Nancy's like, you're doing great. Perfect. 10 out of 10 no notes. Um, he's supposed to stay there while Nancy and her friends are tracking down clues. And it's, like I said, it's going to take him like a day or two. And Nancy's just afraid that when they come back, like the house is going to be burned to the ground and whatever. So what happens is that when she calls the house, she doesn't get the detective. The detective is apparently not feeling great. She gets hold of the house staff and they're like, yeah, he's he's been sick basically since he left. And Nancy's like, that's pretty fucked up. Are you sure you're sick? And they're like, yeah, it's been thrown up everywhere. So, and Nancy asks about how the guests, air quotes, are doing, and the housekeeper is like, they are having crazy parties, and they're just making messes, and I hate them, and they are the fucking worst, and fuck all this. And Nancy's like, that seems legit. So, when she's talking to the twins, that who are studying volcanoes and also I think it's like geology and also flowers or whatever the fuck. Um, Nancy mentions the fact that they're... She's like, did, did you ever hear about any other grandchildren other than the client? And they're like, no, no. Nancy's like, well, um, there's two people and they're claiming that they're grandchildren. So they also have a claim to the estate because the wording and the will is that ownership of the estate passes to grandchildren or any grandchildren. So, he doesn't specifically name only the client, and so, therefore, legally, we have this weird wiggle room, and they're like, the twins are like, no, the, this uh, sounds un- entirely unlike him. He would not have married somebody and abandoned them in California. Like, the no, that doesn't make any sense. So, they find letters that the client's grandfather sent from Japan when he was still living there in Japanese, um, detailing his life at the time period that he's supposedly also supposed to be in California, you know, getting married and fathering a child, which proves that the, well, it's one, it's proof that says that the brother and sister slash husband and wife are not what they seem, basically. So, Nancy's like, this is fabulous. Thank you so much. So, The last thing, uh, remember she saw the angel birds and she decided that she needed to fly over the house. So she charged a helicopter, of course. And because if Nancy's in Hawaii, that bitch is going to be on a helicopter. You need to understand that. You need to make her peace with it. She needs to see shit from above. Also, possibly fall into a volcano. So she looks at the pavilion because she's got a feeling about that. And she sees a flower design that's on the roof of the pavilion with one petal that is longer than the rest that's pointing to something and she's not quite sure what and she's like okay so it's something about that um she eventually determines that because the only place left for anybody to store anything in the pavilion is the roof that that's what it's got to be so um she and Ned sneak back Nancy dresses up in a white mumu with veils so that nobody will know who it is and does her hula dance to distract from the fact that Ned has climbed on top of the pavilion and is just hacking it to bits. Um, A member of the gang comes by, sees Nancy, and is like, good thing you got out here, Millie, because we were going to need some distraction, so you're doing great. And Nancy's like, "Mm -hmm." and you know, just trying to play it off. Ned manages to find the treasure, which is hidden in the pavilion roof, pulls it out, Ha- doesn't really have a chance to see what exactly it is. And after he does that, he and Nancy like start away and he pulls out a cape. It's a really epic looking cape apparently. And the very first illustration of this book, the front piece, is of Ned wearing the cape <laughs> while he and Nancy are trying to escape from the pavilion. Um, but the gang comes after them because the girl who was actually pretending to be a ghost showed up and they were like hey so good job on the ghosting and she's like fucking what so yeah so they come out tie up nacy and Deb put throw them under the pavilion <laughs> into that open like that little cracked open space that, that had, they'd found earlier and just leave them there to die as one does and they steal the cape of course they do of course they do So, Nancy and Ned manage to get loose, and they call the police, Carson has also arrived at this point, they call everybody, get everybody to come out there, and they manage to round up the gang, like, with very little fuss, actually, like, once the police arrive, and they're like, you know, open up police, like, the house is already surrounded, so anybody who tries to escape, they just pick them up, and it's fine, um they've been trying to ransack the house, they've been trying to look for whatever the treasure is, and the girl who was in white was like, yeah, I had pretty much decided that I was done with this shit, like, the, this is getting a little bit much for me, um, I, I can't remember, I think that Nancy and that overhear them, the gang members making plans to just leave them to starve, like, maybe to transport them to another location, and just leave them there to starve, so that's fun, um, Ned found a note with the cape, so he opens it up and apparently it's a replica of a funeral cape that was made for one of the kings when Hawaii was not part of the United States. Which side note they do I was surprised. I walked into this book and I was ready to just rip it a new one because I was like, They're gonna be so fucking colonial and I'm not saying that they're not. I think that it's really hard to avoid that when you've got a bunch of white people wandering around Hawaii. But like they do they do a lot of discussing like Hawaiian myths and traditions and the palace so they talk about the fact that this is the only palace in the United States because you know of course and and it was a working palace that now that's where the government is basically located um they do from the travelogue perspective do at least try to give you some indication of something other than like it's a beautiful place with really cool beaches and very lush greenery and also lays and eating pigs so I'll, I'll give them that I'll, I'll give them that for the travelogue and, and for actually like putting some effort into that so there's that um so, it's a replica of that cape, and the note with it says basically that it's fine for the cape to be given to a historic society or a museum to be put on display because it's a part of heritage, and therefore it's... And it's also apparently, like, worth something. So, even, like, straight out financially, it's worth something more than just nostalgia or sentimental value. So, so that's it. Um, once he finds the cape, the client is free to sell the house. Um... Carson, using the clues that Nancy gathered, just finds evidence that the husband and wife are not who they say they are. Um, they say that they ever heard about it and decided to pose as the long-lost relatives. And the way that they do that actually is that there was a person with the exact same name. So the name of the client's grandfather another person also had the same name and was roughly the same age, and that person is the one who immigrated to California, had a wife and child, um, abandoned the wife and child, and so, but I think that even that is not, the husband and wife aren't actually related to that, they just found somebody who fit the bill. They're, they're still lying about their identity, it's just that they found somebody that had the same name, so, so it's great, and, Everything's fine, and they've solved the mystery, and hooray! Yeah, that's that's pretty much it, honestly. Um, I think at the end of it, they're like three cheers for Nancy because she did she did fucking great, and that's like fuck yeah, I love her. He doesn't he doesn't say that, but in my heart, he's always saying it. It's like Titanic at all points. So, let's see what we're doing next. Ooh, oh my gosh. Next week, we're actually going to be reading the first Nancy Drew book that I ever read when I was eight years old. So, we're going to be doing Clue and the Old Stagecoach next time, which, again, when did Bonanza start? I'm gonna have to look that up. That's fun. Okay. Um, Oh, I forgot um, when Nancy and Ned showed up at the house and were overhearing the gang, the Two Scoops of Raisins gang, they were like, the doctor comes downstairs. The doctor who has been visiting the private detective is like, yeah, I've given him another dose. He's gonna be throwing up for days. And the gang's like, hell yeah. And you're like, y'all are just adorably naive. So they've been calling a quote-unquote doctor to kind of keep him drugged so that he can't get into their shit because Nancy was like, maybe this is a clever ploy. And they were like, "Mm, that's a lot of projectile vomiting for a clever ploy. So we're getting to exorcist levels. You're going to need to deal with this. It's going to be real weird. We're going to need to Febreze this entire place. So, so yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, from the, it's not even like Nancy was trying to locate a cultural artifact is that she came across it because somebody had basically said, can you please solve this mystery so that I can sell this house? (laughs) Like, It's almost like somebody saying, look, this house is haunted. I need you to to solve the mystery of why the ghost is haunting this place so that I can sell the house and not even really out of any sort of desire to solve the mystery just to reach the end the end goals. So, that's fun. Um, I will say that, like, generally, Nancy and that are really cute in this. Um, of course, the skin diving episodes, there's that, um... Yeah, and the thing with Carson, like, poor Carson gets the shit beat out of him. He the doctor's like, You need to keep take it easy. And Carson's like, I eat that for breakfast. I eat fear and doctor's orders for breakfast. So shut the fuck up. John Hamm in his most John Hamiest world. Um so it's yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating, honestly. It is. And it's weird, because Nancy has her entire fucking entourage with her, and really, it's Nancy and Ned doing the mystery, which, again, I feel like everybody else in the books, whenever Ned shows up, they're like, okay, you got this, you got this, like, you're gonna make sure that nothing happens to her, because that's what you're here for. Also, poor Togo. Oh my god! Togo. Fucking Togo. Um, At the beginning of the book, all the way back at the beginning of the book, um, Nancy is... Nancy comes home from running an errand or some shit, and she comes into the house and she's like, "Where's Togo?" And Hannah's like, "Um, I let him out to go pee, and he hasn't come back." And so Nancy goes, looks all over the neighborhood, can't find him. Um, and then she finds Tommy, that little boy who will always be six years old, because actually we're in that episode of The Twilight Zone with that little boy who controls everything. His name is Anthony. But anyway, so she sees Tommy and she's like, "Tommy, have you seen Togo?" And Tommy's like, "Oh, that that man took him into his car." And Nancy's like, "What the what man? What man?" And he's like, oh, he was, uh, I don't know. He, he looked like blah, blah or something. And he's, he's like, okay, fuck. So, she, like, she has no idea where the fuck he is. She doesn't know where the gang members are. And so she goes to bed that night. She's sleeping. She's worried about her dog. She's like, I hope he's okay. And you're like, yeah, that that's legit. And she hears, like, this faint scratching. And she goes downstairs and opens the back door. And there's Togo! Like, apparently he got loose from his kidnappers. So... So of course she takes him upstairs and snuggles him and he gets to sleep in his his little bed and his mistress's room that night and he gets extra treats and everything. Um, She's like, he's so smart. And at the end of the book, she asks about that. And yeah, Togo escaped from his captors. Um, They had planned to basically threaten Togo if Nancy didn't back off the case, but Togo was like, fuck that noise. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. Um, The other weird thing actually is that The guy, um, the guy who tapped his finger, like, drummed his fingers on stuff and then touched his index fingers together that they knew was a villain from the beginning of the book was on the plane with the Emerson boys, the one that, oh, when Nancy's like, so what happened to your plane? Are you currently on Lost? And that's like, so the plane, like, lost an engine mid-flight and none of us were really all that worried about it because the pilot seemed like he had it under control, so he just turned around and flew back but, also, the weird guy, and Nancy's like, I knew it, but there's, there's no real evidence that he sabotaged the plane, so, just saying, just saying, but yeah, they, they round up all the two scoops of raisins gang, which, cheese and rice, like, come on, guys, double scorps, double scorps, two scoops of misery, son of a bitch, anyway, so, yeah, that's it for this week's episode. Um, yeah, we'll be doing Clue and the Old Stagecoach next time, which I am deeply excited about. Memories. Oh, my God, y'all. So, as always, stay sleuthy, my friends.